I don't even know if you knew this was a thing. They make national park quarters. Yeah. And they made one early in 2020. It's the American Samoa fruit bat with its young one. I don't know what you call a baby bat. Is it a pup or a... I don't know what it is either. I I need these questions (laughs) ahead of time. (laughs) Yes, it's called a pup. (laughs) I think we should try to get one of those quarters. I don't use cash. (laughs) But maybe maybe I'll make an exception. It's a collectible. I'll I'll, I'll go to the bank. I would like a a roll of American Samoa (laughs) pup bat quarters. (laughs) Yeah, that'll that'll get the – I'll be hitting the silent alarm. (laughs) This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we traveled to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today we're talking about our trip to the most distant national park and the only one south of the equator, the National Park of American Samoa. Now, American Samoa is different from Samoa. It's a U.S. territory made up of a group of very tiny islands about 2,500 miles southwest of Hawaii. And on those islands is a very beautiful, very tropical national park. We spent a few days there enjoying the warm weather one December and going on some wonderful but human hikes. And we learned many important things about American Samoa like how bananas grow and what the heck is a flying fox. That's right. But first, to kick things off, we discuss our reoccurring adventures in getting that perfect Christmas tree. And at the end of the episode, we will answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment. Okay, so here's what happens. When I go to Home Depot... (laughs) Which you do every day. <laughs> you mess with stuff that you shouldn't mess with. <laughs> Are you getting back at me for for me sneaking to McDonald's every time I go to Home Depot? Do you have a particular complaint you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I come home today from my from my visit to Home Depot, and the bison in our visitor center has a beard. <laughs> And not and not the same beard he had when I left for Home Depot. He has a Santa beard and a hat. I know. It's cute. It is disrespectful. It is cute. It's disrespectful. No, it's cute. It's the, it's the, <laughs> the emblem of the continent. I do it when you're not here because I know you're not a fan of me decorating our bison on every holiday. But it's Christmassy. It's if in the spirit. If you had little tiny Santa hats for the squirrels, I, that I would be okay with. All right. Maybe next year I'll work on that. But you know what's up next. Yeah, I know what's up next. (laughs) (laughs) Getting the Christmas tree, your favorite thing. Yeah, getting the Christmas tree. That's always way more work than it should be. You know, every time we set off to go get the Christmas tree, I have this image in my head. (laughs) Okay. And the way it goes is this. It's, you know, a holiday magical event. We go to the Christmas tree farm. We wander through all the big trees and we're holding hands and there's uh-huh. some Christmas music playing and it starts to snow a little bit and we stop and look at all the trees. And at one point we stop and you say, oh, honey, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
is <laughs> except it never goes like no. that it's never like that no because you instead of that happening we go we we get st- our truck stuck in the mud <laughs> almost hit a five-year-old who <laughs> <laughs> who was standing in the only parking space left. And, <laughs> and we have a choice between three Charlie Brown trees. <laughs> and you hate them all. <laughs> and then you get mad at me for there not being any trees left. <laughs> and then, then what happens? But, oh, I'm sorry. We do have one tree left. It's, <laughs> it's a seven-footer. <laughs> And it is two hundred and seventy-five dollars. <laughs> That's what you want. I know it happens like that all the time. Only I think last year it was like nine nine feet tall. It was nine remember? feet tall. The top four of those nine feet was one single <laughs> branch. <laughs> But here's the good thing is, because it was nine feet, we got to pay $275 for it. So really what we did, we got a five-foot tree and a four-foot branch sticking out of the top of it. I can't talk. Okay. I'm laughing because it's actually so true. That's exactly what happens. And then you're kind of mad. Yeah. And it's hard to strap it on. Then I have to do the fresh cut at home, which (laughs) always goes really well. Remember the one time you made a turn and the tree kind of swung halfway off the car? Yeah. Oh, so I'm looking times. forward to. I'm yeah. looking. I'm looking forward to this. I know. I think. I think this is our year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to get the nine footer. Ho ho ho! I feel. I feel the magic about to happen. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about our journey all the way to the National Park of American Samoa. But first, Matt, we need to discuss something. We wrote in Dear Bob and Sue that one of the reasons you wanted to go to American Samoa was to see if flushed toilets south of the equator really do swirl in the opposite direction from toilets north of the equator. Well, I think they do. It was, but that's an unproven. Yeah, that wasn't. That's not the reason we went to the southern hemisphere. But I was interested in. So we had to fly from Seattle to Honolulu, and then from Honolulu to American Samoa. And I was wondering if on the plane, as we crossed over the equator, the toilets would start flushing the other way. <laughs> but and I, then but I think I took s- a nap. You and slept. I, that moment. <laughs> and, and that, I've, that I thought about it a little bit more and realized this is the stupid thing to be spending so much time on. Yeah, I don't even know where you heard about that. Well, yeah, the like tornadoes and cyclones, they spin a different direction in the southern hemisphere. <laughs> Everyone knows this, Karen. Okay. Although I did a little research, which, which also falls under the category of spending way too much time on this detail. <laughs> and then I found out that the, the direction a toilet swirls has more to do with the way the jets are positioned in the toilet than what, oh. what hemisphere the toilet's in. So anyway, okay. that's, so, yeah. so I think we've already lost all seven of our <laughs> listeners by discussing right. this. So at the end, <laughs> that's it. American Samoa. Thank you very much. Hope y'all enjoyed the episode. Yeah, see you next week. All right. We'll get we'll get back on topic here. 
Let's talk about American Samoa for a minute. It's a U.S. territory in the South Pacific, located about halfway between Hawaii and New Zealand. It's the only piece of the United States below the equator. Did we say that? I don't think we said that yet. It is. But thank you for saying that. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. So I looked up the history so that we could have something intelligent to say for oh, two good. seconds. <laughs> oh, good. And the toilet was invented in American Samoa. No, no. But I thought people might want to know that American Samoa became a U.S. territory by deed of session in 1900 when the local chiefs of Tutuia – the largest island in American Samoa, ceded the land to the U.S. Now, authority over American Samoa was initially placed with the U.S. Navy, and they oversaw the territory until 1951, when it was transferred to the Department of the Interior in 1956, and that is where it still resides. Are you the host of a History Channel <laughs> show that I don't know about? Yes. <laughs> okay, is, that what, is that what you're doing all day when, when you disappear? Or do, I do like, you go, you're doing the History Channel yes, shows? Yes, I, I like to research history, so there you go. And, <laughs> and you, you do okay, your toilet well, thing. Well, <laughs> I'll do my history wait, thing. Have, we get to the part of where we're laying on the sandy beach. <laughs> that, that pretty much never happens. <laughs> So American Samoa is not just one single island. There's really five islands. Tutuila is the largest island, and it has the capital on that island, which we have called for the last 10 years Pago Pago, (laughs) which is an incorrect pronunciation. It's Pago Pongo. That's right. (laughs) It rhymes with song. So it's Pongo Pongo. Pongo Pongo. Not even Pongo. Okay, I'm like... (laughs) Saying it wrong again. All right. You know what? I'm going to call work, it whatever I want. Let's work on Saguaro. It's just, it's just south of Saguaro National Park. It, in America, it's not a big place. It's got about 55,000 residents. And That's not, right. And 97 percent of those. And here I'm, I'm your co-host now on the History Channel <laughs> show that you're doing in our basement. Uh, 97 percent of those people live on that main island of Tutuila. Which is where we went. Now, that island, Tutuila, is is not very big. It's 21 miles across and about three miles north to south. So it is the biggest island, but it's still fairly small. There's there's not a lot of industry going on in American Samoa. The, the largest non-governmental industry is tuna packing. So there's one now, just one tuna canning facility on the island. And really, the, the rest of the jobs on the island are either U.S. government or uh, the military. There's a military base, which is mm-hmm. also U.S. government, I guess. But Yeah, the tuna processing plant there is Starkist. And remember, we drove by and took a photo. I, I believe that – is that Charlie Charlie the Tuna that – No, that – is it that – I don't know. I don't it's, know either. I remember seeing Charlie the Tuna, but isn't he chunky? Or I don't – Chunky? chunky. <laughs> is it, I don't know. <laughs> Not, is he Starkist? I don't. What's the other tuna? I don't know. Okay, I don't so okay. We're just... <laughs> Back to the toilets. <laughs> you told me an interesting fact as we were watching the Seahawks the other day about football in American Samoa. Right. If you are a male living in American Samoa, you are fifty-six times more likely to end up playing in the NFL than if you're from any other part of the United States. 
That's a pretty big statistic. Yeah. And the Seahawks have – we have a American Samoa. Mike Upati right now is an offensive lineman. He's he's from American Samoa. So, And I think there are even more NFL players of American Samoa descent, some, some of which who, let's say, grew up in California or, or places like that. But their families come from American Samoa. So – I'm not sure why that is. It's maybe maybe it's just the the competitiveness and and their size. Well, they're they're big, strong people, yeah. And so maybe that's why they're a lot of them make it to the NFL. Mm-hmm. I looked up some statistics, and it says American Samoa has sent 33 players to the NFL and 200 more to Division One college programs. So that's that's a lot for a small island like that. American Small also has, this is interesting, the highest rate of, um, of military enlistment of any U.S. state or territory. They're very proud of their military service there. They're very proud to be Americans. When we were there, even the graffiti you would see spray painted on concrete blocks would, would be like an American flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it would say proud to be an American. So they're, they're very proud to be part of America. All right, let's get to the National Park. Now, it's the only NPS site south of the equator, and the park is spread out over three islands. So the big island that we've already mentioned, Tutuila, also two tiny islands named Ofu and Tau. And the the National Park protects about 13,000 acres, 9,000 of which are land, and 4,500 of which are ocean and coral reefs. So, Karen, since you, <laughs> since you have a show on the History Channel, could, could you tell us how it became, how, how it came to be that there's a national park all the way down in American Samoa? Well, I'd be happy to, Matt. <laughs> okay. In 1984, a bill was introduced at the request of the Bat Preservers. Now, Bat Preservers was in all capital letters when I read it. So I'm just going to assume that there is a group called the Bat Preservers. (laughs) Uh, We're not going to make fun of them. No. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) They're doing a wonderful service preserving the bats. Um, They introduced a bill to include American Samoa in the Federal Fish and Wildlife Restoration Act. Um, And what they wanted to do was to protect the habitat for their bats, which are also called flying fox. We'll talk about those in a little bit, as well as to protect their ancient rainforest. Now, this bill marked their entry into the U.S. National Park System. Um, The National Park Service began the work of establishing the National Park in July of 1987. And it officially became the National Park of American Samoa the next year in 1988. But what's interesting is the National Park Service can't buy any of the land there because they're communal land systems, meaning the land is owned by the people. So this was resolved in 1993 when the NPS entered into a 50-year lease for the parkland from the Samoan Village Councils. So in a nutshell, the National Park Service rents the park, basically. Were you talking to me? <laughs> Did you hear anything I just said? Yeah, right. I, okay. I heard that you're 56 when... <laughs> times more likely to be in the NFL if you're from American Samoa and that there's no camping. <laughs> I, I don't know if you said this, but in 2018, there were 28,000 visitors mm-hmm. and 3,000 in 2010. Yeah. So when we were there, there were 
3,000 visitors over the entire year. And the last statistics I saw were in 2018, and it was 28,000. Now, I think that 28,000 sounds like a lot, but what I'm wondering is they do have some cruise ships that pull into Pongo Pongo Harbor, and I'm just wondering if they're counting those those daily cruise ship people as or twenty seven thousand nine hundred of those are local residents, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who, who go into the park. Yeah, it it doesn't get a lot of uh, visitors who whose intention is to go to the national park. That's the reason they're going to the island, right? Uh, now, when to go? That's a very good question. <laughs> Karen, Karen, when's the best time to go? So I was reading that their rainy season is November through March, but then on the NPS website, it says the rainy season is November through May, which is a pretty big old rainy season. The dry season is supposed to be June through September, and the temperatures all year round fluctuate from like 82 as a low to 88 as a high. I think it's always in the 80s. Right. I think we, we talked to a local resident and asked them. Because uh, we were there in December, and it was rainy season, mm-hmm. and that's of course being southern hemisphere. It was that would be the beginning of summer, and I asked, "Well, what's it like in the winter?" Well, it's a little cooler. It's about seventy-eight. <laughs> so, so like eighty-two is summer, and seventy-eight is winter. I will say, the thing about the rainy season is that it's a lot like Hawaii in that the storms crop up quickly in the afternoon. It rains either briefly or or a downpour, and then it clears off. So it's not like in Seattle where it will rain for four months straight and, and you'll never see the sun. I think the, the rainstorms in American Samoa seemed to us to be pretty fleeting. Well, like we said, the way we got there was we flew from Seattle to Honolulu, then Honolulu to Pongo Pago Pago Pongo Pongo Pago Pongo Pongo just a structure by sentences so I don't have to say that name again now, there aren't a lot of options for getting to American Samoa. So Hawaiian Airlines flies on Thursdays and Sundays from Honolulu. It's a direct flight to Pongo Pongo. <laughs> <laughs> Thursdays and Sundays, round-trip flights. So that is it. Also, if you're planning to go, you should know that passports are required even for all of us U.S. citizens, and you have to show proof of an onward ticket. So you either have to have a return flight already booked or perhaps you're going somewhere else like Australia or New Zealand. But you can only stay in American Samoa for 30 days, and they want proof that you are headed out. Yeah, they don't They don't want us to just decide that we're never leaving. Exactly. Because where exactly are you going to be if you're not not leaving? (laughs) (laughs) They want you to keep moving on. So after we got to Honolulu from Seattle, we were lucky we had a nonstop flight. But then we had about a four-hour layover. And what from Honolulu to American Samoa was uh, about five and a half hours. Right. And I researched this way back when we did it the first time. That air service is part of – was at, at that time, probably still is, part of the uh, essential air service program that the government sponsors. And in, in other words, there probably wouldn't be a commercial flight from Honolulu to uh, American Samoa if, if it was just up to commercial interests. And so the government 
for a lot of towns in in the U.S., not just American Samoa, they essentially subsidized the flights, mm-hmm. and and so the airfare wasn't too bad. I think that that leg from Honolulu to American Samoa was about seven sixty, seven eighty, something like that, a person round trip. A little bit higher now. Yeah, I I just looked at it, and of course. I don't even think they're flying into American Small right now because of COVID, but I think it's gone up to around 1,200, but I'm sure that that fluctuates. But I was disappointed as we were flying from Honolulu to American Small because it was in the evening and it got dark. And so I couldn't see, you know, I wanted to see the islands. You wanted to see the water? Yeah, and the islands from above. I'm sure it's beautiful. But when we landed, it was about 11 p.m. And do you remember that cute little airport? It had no exterior walls. Mm-hmm. Like even even where you check in, that was basically outside. Now the the roof overhung maybe, you know, twenty or thirty feet past where the, where you check in so that if it's raining they don't get wet. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was a small little airport and it was packed. Yeah, it had a lot had a lot of people. I think everybody in town turns out to welcome those flights, those two flights a week, because they have relatives and friends on there. Now, it looked to us that we were the only vacationers on that flight. Remember, we were the only people that you went up to the car rental window and everyone else went off with their relatives or their family or... Right. I had to um, explain to the gentleman that we were renting a car, and I think he had forgotten the, the procedure because he probably hadn't <laughs> rented a car in three or four days. And so, yeah, he gave us the keys, and, and the, the car was out in the parking lot. I, I think there were like four rental cars out there, no matter how many rental car companies there are. I think they all share the, the cars. But, yeah, you ha- pretty much have to have a rental car. Oh, absolutely. It would be almost impossible to get around the island. They do have some buses that are run by by local villagers, but we've heard that they're somewhat unreliable. And we actually never saw a bus when we were there. So um, you definitely, definitely want to rent a car. It was a little tough that first night when we got there because it was so humid Oh my gosh! when, uh, when we arrived that the windshield of the rental car was fogging up both on the outside and on the inside. And so... I was not really sure where I was going anyway, and uh, it was kind of hard to see due to the fog. But we eventually we we figured it out. It's it's not very tough. There's not that many roads right. on the island, and pretty much from the airport you just drive straight east until you get to the town that I won't name. <laughs> <laughs> It was dark out, though. Remember, I th- I didn't see any street lights. It was dark, and by the time we had our car and we're going, it was midnight. So again, we really couldn't see much of the island. We went. We had reservations at a hotel called Sadie's by the Sea, and I remember Matt, you booked that and you had done the research. And there were no other choices except for its sister hotel. Right. So I think there there might be a few more now, but it, but it's it's not many. But they really don't have that many tourists. Again, I, I think the, the majority of people who are coming to the island are, and we met a couple of these, uh, government workers. Mm-hmm. We met a couple of women from Washington, D.C. who are there doing work, uh, going to the government offices. And so you, you need a, a few hotel rooms for People like that. But other, other than that, the island does not have a big tourist infrastructure. It's not, Zero. Yeah, it, has, it doesn't have like resorts where 
you know, it accommodates lots and lots of people and banquets and things. Sadie's by the Sea was was nice. It was right there on on the ocean. There was mm-hmm. there's not many places like that. Right. It's not set up to pamper tourists. So if you're looking for, you know, when you hear American Samoa, it sounds very exotic. It, it sounds like like Tahiti and Bali and but it's not like that at all. And it's different from Samoa. Now, Samoa is another island not far from American Samoa, and that is what? That's part of – is that part of New Zealand or Australia? It's it's not part of America. Right. And, and it is it, it is bigger at, with more infrastructure. So mm-hmm. sometimes people do confuse Samoa with American Samoa. But it is a different place. Now, we did not get a good look at Sadie's because we when we first checked in, we – we got our room and we went to bed. But the next day when we got up, we, we could finally take a look around. And um, Sadie's is a really cute little hotel. It's comfortable, nothing fancy at all. It had a small pool. It was right on the water. So it had its own private little beach, very small. And we ate there a few times and, and the food was great. The service was great. Yeah. The nice thing about Sadie's was that their their bar slash restaurant, they had an outdoor seating area, which was lovely. So we could sit out there and have breakfast and lunch or dinner. So that was really nice, too. But, you know, I was reading some of the reviews on TripAdvisor, and and they're very mixed, right? Some people gave it five stars and said it was perfectly fine, which I think is our opinion. And then people gave it one star and said it was dumpy. And it was, it's it's no frills. It was clean and comfortable. And, you know, that's pretty much what it was. I, I wouldn't say there's anything dumpy about it. It was Perfectly fine. Yeah, I agree. So that first day, we were anxious to go to the National Park uh, Visitor Center. Mm -hmm. And the Visitor Center had moved because tragically, a year before we went, a tsunami hit the island. There was an earthquake about 120 miles offshore, a a big one, 8.1 on the Richter scale. And a tsunami came, hit the island, and took out a, quite a few buildings and damaged, severely damaged the building that the National Park Service uh, Visitor Center was in. It also killed quite a few people. 34. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. and did a lot of damage to uh, homes and buildings. And so the, the National Park had to find a new place for a temporary visitor center. That's right. Um, so we found that it was just in a little strip mall a few miles down the road. So we wandered in there, and right away we found the stamp for our passport books. So that w- that was very important to us. And then we were able to round up a ranger to talk to and ask some questions, and she was actually very helpful. Yeah, she had uh, been at several national parks, most recently Yellowstone. So we shared stories about some of our other visits. But uh, yeah, she had good she had good advice for us on how to visit the park. Yeah. Now, surprisingly, the section of the park on Tutuila is is pretty small. It doesn't take long to see the National Park of American Samoa on that particular island. Yeah, we had thought that we might want to go to some of these other islands because there's parts. Parts of these other islands that are national park as well, but I, I don't think we could figure out with our research how to get to those islands. So we were asking this ranger, so if we want to go to these other islands to visit other parts of the national park, how would we do that? And she said, well, really, the, the only way to get there is ask one of the locals to take you over in one of their fishing boats. And so she kind of <laughs> hesitated. That, that sounded – okay, so that, that sounds yeah. legitimate. We've been on a lot of ferry boats before. Uh, she said, but 
She goes, there's, there's no Coast Guard regulations that they follow on these private fishing boats. And so you might, you may or may not have life preservers. And you'd want to, when you go to another island, to be sure that you're prepared to stay there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know what that meant. She says, well, sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll drop you off the island and tell you they'll come back in a few, few hours to get you. And then they'll forget and they, they don't come back for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> so all of a sudden so we were like, thinking, right, that's hmm, yeah, we have a flight to catch on Sunday. I don't think we'll be stranded for a couple days on this island. It is very difficult to plan trips to those two other islands. I was doing some more research yesterday. And um, so uh, apparently Polynesian Airlines does have several flights a week to the island of Tau. However, there is no lodging there. And so they encourage people to book homestays with families there. And if you would like to go to the third island, Ofu, you can only get there by fishing boat or some kind of rowboat or (laughs) some kind of vessel on the water. And I I read a lot of message boards and people were struggling to try to figure out how to plan those trips. Um, Apparently, I don't think Polynesian Airline books more than a few weeks in advance. So it seems like it's a really tough thing to plan. Yeah. Well, if you're intent Mm -hmm. on planning a trip down there, again, our advice that we always give is Call the visitor center down there and talk to a ranger. Mm -hmm. They can tell you all the information. Right. They would know how to get there. But it would involve a very small plane (laughs) and a boat of some kind. To go to those other islands. Right. To go to the other islands. Yeah. The other thing that the ranger told us, word of caution, as we visit all the villages, is that to be careful of the dogs. There are a lot of dogs on the island. And she said, "They're sometimes they're not, they're not friendly dogs." Mm-hmm. Uh, I think she even used the word "they're biters." <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't like biting dogs. So I was referring to them in my mind as wild dogs, but I think the correct term is roaming dogs. They're not really wild because they belong to the villages. Yeah, they're not but fair. I don't think they're feral no, dogs. No, they're somebody's pet, but. <laughs> <laughs> And they don't like strangers. (laughs) That's right. So after we got the lay of the land from the ranger, we decided to go in and see the park for ourselves. And we drove north into the mountains and we found a pullout that had some park signage that looked promising. And right there was was a trail that we hiked to Craggy Point. And this trail dead ends at the edge of a cliff and it overlooks the ocean. And we could see one of the little villages, which is called Vatia. And we could also see this beautiful island called Pola Island, which is this huge rock outcropping that sits just offshore from the main island. It it was a mm, stunning view. And I think the artwork that we're putting up for this episode is of is a photo that we took at that craggy point. It is. It's yeah. it's that Pola Island. So if you were to describe the island, there are rainforests and mountains and beautiful white sand beaches. It does look like something on a, a postcard from Polynesia for sure, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful South Pacific Island. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely stunning. Yeah. When we were finished there, we decided to drive down into the village of Vatia and take a look around. On the way, remember, we finally found 
an official park sign. We did, yeah, yeah, and got our got our photo in front of it so that we could check the box. It, we knew that. We- it's highly unlikely that we would ever be back there. So we, got, <laughs> we had to get our official, we, we had to take care of business officially. Now, the village of Atia was beautiful. It was set kind of in a protective bay uh, surrounded by mountains. And it was just as quaint and charming as you could imagine a little village in the South Pacific would be. However... One of those dogs that the ranger had been talking about came out out to welcome us. Yeah, Yeah, so we did not get out and walk around. No. And I don't think that that, you're really supposed to do that. I mean, everyone we met the entire time on that island, they were very friendly uh, and very welcoming. But... I mean, you, you're on their private property. Yes. Yeah, so, so the barking dogs kind of, uh, <laughs> that was a good sign that it was time to leave. <laughs> it also looked like there was a storm coming. So we decided to drive back to town and find somewhere to eat. And we found a, a little fast food place, Shane J. Filipino Fast Food, where we had lunch. It was cute. And the food was really good. It was a wasn't a food truck because it wasn't mobile, but it was sort of a, it was a very small uh, window that you order and then you sit outside on picnic tables. So it was very good food, except <laughs> I liked it. I liked it when we went out to order our food. <laughs> I know what wo- you're going to say. I know what you're the, saying. The woman kept referring to you as mommy. What you have, mommy? You want Pepsi too, mommy? <laughs> and you <laughs> and I, said I'm to like, me, I said she thinks you're my mom. Okay. <laughs> And I'm, that's the story I'm sticking with. I was there. No one else was there. And the story She's, I'm sticking with yeah. is that I believe that that was a sign of respect. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like Since you would you're call. you're his, his mother. <laughs> <laughs> you know how people call the queen mom? I uh-huh. believe that this mommy that she was calling me was, was a sign of respect yeah. for he, her th- visitor she, from a she, foreign country. Yeah. <laughs> She thought you were a queen of somewhere, <laughs> some distant land. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> All right, maybe that's a little far-fetched. <laughs> so at that point, after lunch, we were we were tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because you're you're Sweet a queen, you're, a queen. Used, you're used to not <laughs> doing a whole lot. And it was time for my nap. It was time for your nap. <laughs> we were still pretty tired from the travel day, the day before. So we went back to the hotel. We took a nap, and it just rained. And yeah, rained. It rained mm. We weren't going to do anything outside anyway. That's right. So. And then as it cleared up, we sat outside at the hotel restaurant and had a glass of wine as as the sun was going down. It was a beautiful night. But then as we were sitting there. I heard somebody eating. I, I heard very loudly somebody eating and, and crunching, like mouth noises, loud, like somebody was eating an apple. But we were the only ones in the restaurant on that patio. And I kept trying to figure out where it was coming from. It's like somebody in the bushes, like having a, having a snack and we realized it was coming from above us. Sitting above us was a fruit bat, one of those flying foxes. Huge. Yeah, yeah. there's the size of dogs, big dog. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they call them flying foxes because they have these little pointed faces, these pointed muzzles that look like a, their faces look like a fox, but their wingspan is like three feet. And they don't just come out at night because we saw them often during mm-hmm. the day. 
That was a little freaky to see that him right above us chomping. But I guess they're herbivores. <laughs> <laughs> so Good. there was no danger to us sitting right below him. And this one him. had plenty, of, plenty to eat. So. Mm-hmm. so what I read was they were endangered in the... In the 1980s, they became very endangered because they were considered a delicacy, and mm. and the local people were hunting them and eating them, and also um, shipping them off to other countries. And that is one of the reasons, as I mentioned before, the bat preservers wanted to make American Samoa a national park to protect these bats, these these particular fruit bats. And the good news is, is that they enacted some laws about hunting these bats. And now I believe that the bat population is thriving once again. Yeah. Well, there's a real big one li- living <laughs> above Sadie's by the sea. So, so you, you got that going for you if, if you're a bat preserver. You know, it's also interesting. No. <laughs> I'm afraid to ask. So I don't even know if you knew this was a thing. They make national park quarters. Yeah. And they made one early in 2020. It's the American Samoa fruit bat on the quarter. And it has, I guess they have one offspring a year and it's a fruit bat with its young one. I don't know what you call a baby bat. Is it a pup or a... I don't, I don't know, know what, what it is either. I, I need these questions <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> yes, it's called a pup. <laughs> I think we should try to get one of those quarters. I don't use cash, <laughs> but maybe maybe I'll make an exception. It's a collectible. I'll, I'll, I'll go to the bank. I, need, I would like a, a roll of American Samoa <laughs> pup bat quarters. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll get the. I'll be hitting the silent alarm. <laughs> <laughs> we got another one. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, where were we? Okay, so, so you know, we only had three days there, right? We got there Thursday night. So that day was Friday. Now we are on Saturday. So Saturday we went back into the park, and we did the what's the big hike in the park. It's the Mount Alava Trail. Am I saying that right, or is it? I have no idea. I get. I need these questions <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> yes, that's exactly the proper pronunciation. We struggle with pronunciation, if if you haven't noticed yet. But um, okay. So this particular hike is seven miles round trip, but there's a pretty good elevation gain, and it takes you through a jungle and up to the top of this mountain ridge. Yeah, we were sweating like pigs. Oh my! Because the humidity gosh. was ninety nine point eight percent. <laughs> and you are and literally we climbing up a mountain. You are literally in a jungle. Yeah. I mean, the trail is is overgrown and you're sort of, I think we needed like a, what are those things where you slash the weeds as you go? A machete? A, a machete. That's what we <laughs> needed. You keep asking me questions. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> did you say? Did you say that there were at the destination there were incredible views of the ocean and the islands and all the villages and mountains? Did you say that? I did not mention okay, that. Well, I did not I, mention. I just did. And it takes you up to this. You go up this metal staircase, and it takes you up. Is that a communications tower up right. there? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and you can't go all the way up the tower, but there's a little platform that. You get up a little bit more out of the vegetation and in a beautiful view of the bay mm-hmm. by the main <laughs> main town. <laughs> Pongo, Pongo. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think then you could, I mean, the island's skinny enough that you could also see the north side of the island from up there as well. It was gorgeous up there. It was worth the, the sweating to get up there. And one cool thing. So when we did our two-year national park journey, it took us to a lot of places that we wouldn't have gone to otherwise, like American Samoa. But we also learned a lot of things. And on this particular hike, we hiked through a banana plantation. And it was a huge awakening to me to see how bananas grow. I had no idea. Yeah, we were completely ignorant back then. <laughs> <laughs> Not like now. I've only seen a banana in a grocery store. <laughs> And we had no idea. We we took a photo of this mm-hmm. because it was what turns out to be a bunch of bananas growing off this tree. And one of the reasons we couldn't recognize them is because bananas grow upside down, mm-hmm. the different direction than you would think. But then out of this bunch of bananas was hanging down what on, on this slender – Stem. Then there was a like a football size pod hanging off of it, and that that was the the flower bud. But it it literally looked it was the size and color of a football, and so we thought this was amazing. And then I think we took a photo. We had a, a digital camera back then, mm-hmm. not not a phone. I think we asked you know maybe one of the villagers <laughs> later, "What is this? <laughs> That's a banana." <laughs> Yeah. Where are you folks from? Yeah. (laughs) There were also all kinds of beautiful flowers. You took pictures. There was this one red, gorgeous flower that was everywhere. I don't know what it is. I should have researched that. But a lot of beautiful vegetation in this jungle. All right. So later that afternoon, we drove Highway 001. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't, do they have a highway 002? I think there's only one highway. Okay. <laughs> we drove it to the east along the ocean, and it was a beautiful drive. And we passed village after village, and they all looked different. Uh, one thing that was similar is that each of them had a main house, uh, which is essentially a, a gathering spot. And the, those big houses are essentially every – chief of each village has one, and that's where where the villagers gather for meetings. That's right. And they're all different. They're basically what I think we would call a pavilion. So they're open air. They're usually round. Uh, Some were extremely elaborate, and some were fairly small and average, but every village had one. So let's talk for a second about the Samoan culture. Okay. Okay. (laughs) They have what's called the Matai system 
of organization and philosophy. And basically, the entire island is made up of villages. And in these villages live extended families, which includes as many relatives as they can claim. And then each village is headed by a matai, which is a chief who represents the family on all matters, including the village council. So the chief is responsible for law enforcement and punishment of any infractions that occur in their village. I think you would like to to be a chief of our village. I, I am the chief of our village. It's just there's, I'm unable to enforce any punishment. Or make any rules. Or make any rules or hold meetings or claim any family members. But uh, still, I mean, yeah. I'm a chief. In your own mind, you're, yes. you're a great chief, Matt. Hey, thank you. <laughs> but this drive that we took on Highway 001, was absolutely beautiful. It's a two-lane road that runs right next to the ocean. So you are looking at these iconic South Pacific views, white sand, palm trees, the entire way. It was it was very stunning. Now, we found out from talking to locals is that you're not supposed to hang out on the beaches or go swimming on a beach without getting permission well, you're supposed to get permission from the chief of, mm-hmm. of the village, but the chief might not be around. So I, th- I think pretty much as long as you ask a villager if it's okay, they'll let you know. That's right. And it was interesting, though, because as we drove along, we saw almost no people. There were occasionally some small children playing in the ocean, but when you would look across to the villages – they were deserted. So we didn't use any of those beaches and we didn't stop and ask anyone, but I'm not sure how easy it would have been to find. I guess we could have asked those children. Yeah. Is it okay? <laughs> yeah. Can we can we swim on your beach? So the National Park Service has on their website a few cultural tips for visitors to American Samoa. Things that, you know, we should all know and respect when we go. So I'll just read a few of these. It's called the Samoan Way. So you're supposed to ask villagers for permission before you take any photos, before you use their beach, or before you engage in any other activities. And it says permission will usually be granted. I'm sure that's true. They were very friendly. It says Sunday is a day for church and for rest. Activities that are acceptable on other days, such as swimming, might not be permitted on Sunday. Um, each evening around dusk, villagers observe a time for prayers. So if you are entering a village, you need to stop and wait until their prayer time is over. And so there are a few other things here that if you go into their homes, which I won't get into because we did not go into anyone's home, but I think it's good to know it's good for us to know coming from so far away what what some of these signs of respect are for the people. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes for the for the five people who are planning this year to go to <laughs> the National Park of American Samoa. That's right. And the Samoan way is called Fa Samoa. So if you ever hear that, that means the, the Samoan way. One thing that we did do that felt a little bit more like uh, the lower 48, is we went to a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the only bar on the island. <laughs> and we had we had learned about this before. This this did show up in our research. It was It's called Tisa's Barefoot Bar. And it's a little, essentially a restaurant slash bar right on the ocean, right on the beach, uh, kind of towards the east end of the island. 
and and Tisa, Tisa lives there in her house and yeah, you just show up and she'll come out and visit with you and, mm-hmm. and make you a drink. Make you a drink, make you uh, lunch or dinner or whatever. That's right. And I have to say and we'll post some photos on Dear Bob and Sue, but you know, I think we've all been to places in Florida or Hawaii where they have sort of the fake tiki huts and they you know to make it look like a like a beach hut kind of a place. This was the real deal. This was so incredibly charming and Tisa told us that she had built this entire outdoor place from things that washed up on right. her beach. Yeah, and literally the decorations were all stuff that had washed up. I was looking at the photos again. There are literally palm trees that are growing throughout the patio where you sit. There, She made some thatched roof coverings like over the bar. There are um, buoys strung up and lights. And it is as charming as you could possibly imagine. We absolutely loved it there. Yeah. And when we were there, there were two other customers, two other women sitting on the patio having a drink. And they were the two that you had mentioned before from that had flown in from D.C. who were doing business with the government. So our paths crossed with them again. And that was it. Those were those were the only people at Tisa's when we were there. That was a beautiful place. And, and I think we even went down. So we asked Tisa if it was OK to walk down on the beach. And so we walked out there and... I don't know, the tide must have been just right because we could walk probably 100 yards out into the ocean and the water was still about knee high. And it felt like walking through an aquarium because you would see all these fish and things in the ocean. The water was perfectly clear. It was incredible to see, like you said, all those brightly colored fish. And it was it was this just beautiful, pristine beach. After we had a drink at Tisa's, we left and went back to Pongo Pongo and had dinner at at the Sadie Thompson Inn, which is the sister hotel of Sadie's by the Sea. And they had a nice little restaurant there. You know that there are not many restaurant choices in on the entire island. Yeah, and that that was a a pretty traditional indoor sit down Mm -hmm. white tablecloth restaurant. Yeah, so that's where. If you were in town and wanted a, a more traditional dinner, that, that would be the place to go. Mm-hmm. The next day, <laughs> the next day was Sunday, and it was our, our time to fly home, but but the flight didn't leave till 11 p.m., is That's that right? That's right, yeah. And so we had really the, the entire day we had to check out, and we had the entire day to, to do stuff, so we pretty much drove the island the entire length of the island, maybe a couple times. But before before we did that, we thought it would be a perfect time to do laundry <laughs> since we were homeless and we had and- dirty laundry and we were we were this was part of a longer trip that, that we were going to, to some of the parks in Hawaii afterwards. So we wanted to do laundry. And this was a this was pretty much a I would say ugly American faux pas, although we were still in America. We sh- we go to the only laundromat on the island, and we start doing laundry. Mm-hmm. We have our it, quarters. The place was empty then. The place was empty. But soon after, all these families show up. And what we realized after some kind of confused looks and some kind of polite sideways glances that – it was their day to do laundry, mm-hmm. and they all had the, this routine where they all came and did their laundry there, and everyone had their, uh, you know, their designated washers and dryers that they normally use. And we had come in and snuck in and, and took them before 
the crowd got there. So they were very polite. Mm-hmm. They actually talked to us quite a bit. And so, but whoever's washer we had taken had, <laughs> had to wait extra long. That I know, morning. but they were kind. And I don't think we mentioned this at the beginning, but almost every Samoan speaks both Samoan and English fluently. So talking to the residents of the island was never an issue. An interesting thing that we found in driving around the island. So we were there, what, early December, like first week of December. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few churches on the island. And being Sunday, a lot of of villagers were at church. And we probably drove by five, six, seven churches. Every one of them was decorated – like every inch with Christmas decorations, but but like like fun Santa Claus Christmas decorations. Like one church had, and we have a picture of it. It probably had what twenty plastic Santas. I know uh, on uh, on the outside. Yeah, yeah, that was surprising because because most of our churches here at Christmas time celebrate the the birth of Jesus and don't really acknowledge Santa Claus or Frosty the Snowman. But these (laughs) churches in American Samoa, first of all, the churches themselves were very elaborate. They almost had, um, they almost look more like castles than a church, very elaborate. And then as Matt said, yeah, they had, they had Santas and snowmen, huge inflatable ones all over the outside. Very festive. Very festive. So that was fun to see. but they had nativity scenes as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they they just had it was very well rounded. <laughs> yeah, they were just going to have fun with it. They had a little bit of everything, that's for sure. Yeah, and and we also since we had the entire day, uh, we decided we would go back to Tisa's. Only this time we had dinner there. She told us that her son-in-law is is the cook for her, and his name. He goes by the Candyman. Uh, I'm not sure where that comes from, but he made us an incredible dinner. There was a steak on my plate that was the size of a Frisbee. And he had special fried bananas. And he was told us the long story about these were King's bananas and they only grew on one of the islands. And he was... He actually would go over there and cultivate them because he was worried about this particular variety going extinct. Any, anyway, so we got we got a lot of firsthand cultural knowledge. That's right. I mean, if you can just imagine, so we're sitting outside in this tiki hut with views of an incredible, beautiful ocean, sipping on some ice cold beers and eating the steak under some palm trees with the with a breeze blowing. It was, you know, it was a great way to kind of cap off the trip, sitting there with Tisa and listening to her stories. You know, one thing I kind of regret that we should have looked into when we were there? What? The Samoan people are known for their elaborate and beautiful tattoos. Oh, you, <laughs> you want to get a tattoo? I feel we like we missed, gotten, an, yeah. missed an opportunity. Go back and get you a tattoo. Can you imagine? I mean, they must have the best tattoo artists on the island. I could do a tattoo if you if you really want. Yeah, yeah I think we I, should think about yeah. that. They're absolutely gorgeous, the tattoos. And um, so we'll have to figure out what we would get. Maybe the fruit bat in the pup. <laughs> fruit bat pup. I'll, I'll do that on the small of your back. That'd be great. <laughs> we'll do that this afternoon. Okay. <laughs> get, up, get my Sharpie out. <laughs> so as Matt said, our flight was at 11. 
we got to the airport around 7.30 because we, we really had nothing else to do at that point. And we returned the rental car and we got in a very long line to check in. And we realized pretty quickly that something was wrong. Yeah. At that point in my life, I had done a lot of business travel. And I, I knew by how fast the line was moving or not that something was up. And what we found out was that they said, well, the 11 p.m. flight has now been pushed back to 5 a.m. the next morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was great. We yeah. had six more hours. And, and and where would you go? Nowhere to go. They said, <laughs> they said hey, yeah, it's not a problem. Just come back at 3.30 uh-huh. in, the, in the morning. So uh, fortunately, we were able to go snag our rental car. Yes. Uh, get the keys back. And then the airline paid for our hotel room for one more night. They did, which was very nice because we at least had a place to hang out, even though we didn't really sleep. We checked back in. We laid on the beds in our clothes until about, what, 2 a.m.? And then 2.30 and then got up and made the trek back to the airport, turned in the rental car. And that time it stuck and our flight left about 5 or 5.30. It was a long night, but it, w- it was not a big deal. The flight left the next morning. And then we went we went to Hawaii and did an, uh, a couple of other parks that we will probably cover on other podcast episodes. We went to the Big Island and stayed at Hilo for a couple of days, went to Hawaii Volcanic National Park and mm-hmm. then, then over to Maui for Haleakala. Uh, but then it was time to come home. So let's let's sum up American Samoa. Okay. I think that for people who are visiting all the national parks, obviously you're going to go to American Samoa. Um, if you're not checking all the parks off your list, I would probably skip it. What do you think? Well, right. It's a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not inexpensive to get there. Uh, you know, if it wasn't as that far away, yeah, I'd, I think I, w- I would suggest people go. But it's it's a long haul to get there. And if um, you're interested in a tropical island experience, I mean, you just you, you go to Hawaii. Right? That's right. Because the infrastructure's there. And right. there's a lot of variety of different islands in mm-hmm. Hawaii. And, you know, there's there was nothing wrong with American Samoa. It's just a much longer trip. Right. And when you go to somewhere like Hawaii, everyone there is on vacation, right? And there are all these things to do. And there's golf and tennis and spas and outdoor restaurants. And it feels like one big, wonderful vacation. American Samoa is a working town where people live and work. It is not people are not on vacation there. You're going to you're going to other people's homes and you're driving past their homes. Right. And it's beautiful and all Mm -hmm. of that. It just doesn't have Like we said before, the tourist infrastructure isn't there. Right. And, and, you know, if if that's what you like, that's Mm -hmm. great. Uh, But Right. There's no one there to cater. (laughs) To the queen. (laughs) Absolutely nobody. There is no catering going on. (laughs) Or you imagine you're a queen. (laughs) That might not be for you. No, I mean, it was a great experience, and I'm really glad we went. I just want to be very honest with people so they don't book their flights to American Samoa under false pretenses, right? I just wanted to be clear about what it is, and there was a lot of beauty there, and I, for one, am glad we went. Now, when we finished this particular trip and we were done with the Hawaiian Islands, the trip wasn't quite done. No. Well, we came back to Seattle, and it was... 
felt more Christmas-like in the sense that it was it was cold and dark, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we were we knew that we were no longer in the tropics. That's right. So when we landed at uh, the airport in Seattle, it was probably five o'clock on a Saturday, and we got on the light rail train that leaves from the airport and takes you downtown. So we boarded, we got our luggage, we boarded this light rail train and sat down. And at the very first stop it made, a group of about, what, 12 or 15 teenagers got on? Yeah. And it was so, it was surreal that they got on and they were, you know, nice teenagers. They were going into downtown, all kind of sat around us, but they were Samoan. I know. And we looked at them as they got on and I thought, am I just dreaming or do they look like they're Samoan? And then we noticed that they all had on these jackets and on the back it said Samoan Congregational Church Choir. Yeah, that was that was <sighs> unusual. Oh my gosh. What what is the likelihood of that happening? And so they they sat in our particular train car. They surrounded us, and so we are – I'm sitting by the window. The train starts picking up speed, and as I'm looking out the window, you can see the Christmas lights of the city are on because it's dark outside. Um, So I'm looking out at the Christmas lights, and all of a sudden, this choir starts to sing. Are you going to (laughs) cry? See? It wouldn't be a a podcast episode (laughs) if you didn't cry. I. And they started to sing their Christmas songs, and it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Don't you think? It was. It mm-hmm. was. It was. I would even say it was magical. So I mentioned in our podcast episode when we talked about going to Glacier National Park in Yellowstone in the winter, and we do that because we're looking for the magic of Christmas in the snow and in these parks. But that night on that train, the magic came to us. And, you know, just looking at these young people and and their beautiful voices lifting up in song, it was... It was Christmas right then and there. So we hope that you all have a happy holiday and a Merry Christmas also. That's right. Merry Christmas. Okay, Karen. What is in the mailbag this week? Thanks for asking, Matt. You're welcome. Today's mailbag question is from Katie in Evanston, Illinois. And she wrote, I loved your Dory's Ho episodes, but I was wondering, if you didn't set up tents to sleep in at night, then where did you change your clothes throughout the trip? That's a good question. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I remember. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that after the first day, you kind of just wait until everyone's turned their head. I think that's what all I did. I Or you go behind a bush or something. I don't remember any heroic efforts to... No. Or maybe I never changed my clothes. <laughs> <I think that's laughs> 
think you wore, Wait, you that, did wear the that, same thing every day, that blue hoodie. That's true. That is, okay, never mind. Do you have another mailbag uh, no, question? No, I will answer this because I changed my clothes. So Katie, a couple of things. Either we waited till it got dark or we also would set up a clothesline to dry off our wet clothes from from the uh, river. And we'd set up a clothesline and hang stuff up. So it was easy to kind of duck behind the clothes hanging from the clothesline and change back there. There were also a lot of big boulders that you could go behind. It was pretty easy to find some private areas to change clothes. However, the boatmen. Yeah, not everyone was worried about being private. No. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe they should have been. (laughs) I know. I'm still scarred from some some of my trips to the breakfast table or to get coffee at 6 in the morning. Good morning. It's like Wild Kingdom out here. We had one boatman, and we won't say his name, but he just would change right on his boat, standing up, buck naked. And, and for the world to see. W- wasn't in a hurry. No, that's right. So all of a sudden you round the corner and whoa, <laughs> <laughs> hello. But the other boatmen, a lot of them used a sarong, which is an interesting way to weird. change your clothes. Yeah. I don't know. Between sarong and naked, I I might go, <laughs> go with naked. So when we got our packing list from Aura's, one of the items on there was a sarong, and we could not figure out what the heck that was on there for until we saw it in action. Now, if you don't know what a sarong is, I don't know if if everybody does, it's a big piece of fabric, and that's basically what it is. And you tie it around your waist. You sort of take the corners and knot it around your waist. There are no other fasteners, right? Uh, Usually women wear them over bathing suits is what they are. But what we found out was was what the boatman would wrap the. <laughs> look, look, this is a <laughs> this is a quiz show. <laughs> Are you with me here? <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening intently to your description. <laughs> the boatman would take the sarong and wrap it around their waist, and then they would pull their shorts down and off. And then they would discreetly pull on a new pair of shorts under the sarong. Yeah. So that's that's how you could do it. But again, I I tried to buy you a sarong for the second oh, trip. Yeah. I'm not doing <laughs> I'm not doing a sarong. <laughs> Here's part of the problem is they're all very flowery and very feminine. What we need to what they no, should do I'm is make a man's sarong. I'm not worried about the floweriness or the femininity of a sarong. I I just think it's a it's not a needed piece of equipment on the on well, the river. Maybe if you had a sarong, you'd change your clothes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you, is that a, is that a do you have something to tell me? <laughs> Was that a problem? No, but I'm adding it to the list for our <laughs> I think, our boat trip next summer. I think I was just fine, thank you. No, no, I do remember now because I would take my wet underwear and oh. I would I would hang them on on branches. So I I must have yeah I I changed, but I just mm-hmm. waited until everyone was preoccupied. Mm-hmm. They were they were trying to find their beer at the bottom of of the raft. <laughs> All right. So there's your answer, Katie. There are several different strategies. Buck naked on a boat, a sarong behind a clothesline, or... Just go for it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you have a question for our mailbag? If so, send us an email to mattandkarensmith at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on social media. Go to facebook.com slash dearbobandess. You can also find us on Instagram at mattandkarensmith. To see pictures from our trip to American Samoa, go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com and click on the title for episode 24. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information. Matt and I have been reading all of your recent very kind reviews about our show on Apple Podcasts. And we're really touched by how many of you responded to our previous conversation about trying to reach 500 ratings and reviews by Christmas. Is it a dream or your Christmas gift? Well, it's actually both. When I first mentioned about the possibility of getting to 500 reviews, we were so far away from that number that I was kind of half joking. But now we're almost there. And what a gift that's been that so many of you have reached out in that way. We can't thank you guys enough. Yes, thank you. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can find other information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com. Our show is produced by the amazing folks at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. My Christmas wish this year is to become a member of the Bat Preservers. That's another Christmas gift or <laughs> Christmas wish or dream. You got a lot of dreams. You know, I looked that up. You have to pay your membership dues in Bat Quarters. Maybe you could get that for me yeah, for Christmas. That's, that's your Christmas gift. <laughs> 